Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. Well, let me ask you as we uh, begin our time this morning in John chapter 8, when was the last time you found yourself in complete uh, and utter darkness? Uh, Maybe it was uh, during a power outage. Uh, Maybe you were doing something uh, foolish and reckless and insane like camping or hiking. And as the hour grew late, visibility was strained. Maybe you were in a life-threatening situation like the Chilean miners who were trapped underground for two months. Do you all remember this story from uh, August 2010? It was uh, in San Jose, the mine in Chile collapsed, trapping 33 miners nearly half a mile underground. And for the first 17 days, uh, the miners were trapped in complete and utter darkness with no way to communicate with the outside world. Now, they were left feeling hopeless and Helpless. No idea if they would ever see their loved ones again. No idea if anybody even knew they were there. But then, uh, miraculously, by God's grace, a drill broke through the rock, and the miners were able to send a message up to the surface to let them know that they were all still alive. And from then on, the rescue team worked tirelessly over the next month and a half to bring the miners to safety, eventually succeeding in October of that year. Now, imagine yourself for a moment in that scenario, trapped in the dark with no way out, no idea if anyone knows you're there, no idea if you'll ever escape, no idea if you'll ever see your family or friends or loved ones again. You would be frightened. Worse, when we are surrounded by darkness, we can become disoriented, confused, and lost. We may uh, bump into things or trip over something, as anybody who has stumbled through their bedroom late at night and has stubbed their toe can attest to. And the more unfamiliar we are with our surroundings, the more perilous the consequences are likely to be when we can't see where we are or where we're going. Furthermore, there's something about our inability to be able to see that after a little while makes many of us anxious or jumpy. uh, Our fight or flight response is on high alert and we become easily unsettled and agitated and afraid and we don't behave in the ways that we normally would, right? Now imagine for a moment, now what if one of the miners upon rescue, had chosen to stay in the darkness of the mind? What if they had chosen to refuse to seek out the light and a way out and said, you know what, um, I think I'm good. Like, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just chill down here for a while. Why don't you just keep sending food and drink? And uh, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to go to the surface. I'll just stay down here. Think about that for a moment. Think about the insanity of that decision. I mean, the consequences would have been devastating, right? And you're thinking, like, no, nobody would do that. I mean, that, that's absurd. Now, if you're an introvert in the room like I am, you might be thinking, ah, that doesn't sound so bad. But the reality this morning is, church, is that is precisely the choice that we are going to see the religious leaders make in John chapter 8 this morning. Rather than bowing down before and submitting to and following the light of the world and being brought from spiritual darkness to light, the people that we are going to meet today opted to remain in darkness. And it is not a physical darkness that they will choose. It is a spiritual one. And the tragedy this morning for us, 
church, is that we do the exact same thing when we refuse the light of the world. The sad reality is that the refusing and the rejection of the light of the world, Jesus Christ, is the choice to remain in spiritual darkness. And when we choose to remain in spiritual darkness, we are choosing then to suffer the devastating consequences of a life lived without the light of Christ. And the implications of that choice are nothing short of disastrous. Though born in darkness, separated from God by our sins, such that the Bible says that we are literally darkness, the light of the world has come. And just as the Chilean miners could emerge from the darkness when they followed the light, just as some who were listening to Jesus on this day in John chapter 8 had the ability to leave the darkness and to follow the light, we too can walk from spiritual darkness when we turn to Christ and we embrace the light of the world and we can receive the salvation that he offers. Amen? Now one uh, note I just want to give you as we begin. I am a guest preacher, of course, and it is not typical that a guest preacher would preach on something as heavy as this message is liable to be. But if you will just bear with me, I have three particular people, groups, or groups of people in mind as I speak this morning, one of which you will likely find yourself in. The first is the follower of Jesus whose walk with Christ is in the best place it has ever been. You are here this morning, and you have never been so full of joy and contentment and peace. You are experiencing victory over your sin like never before. You're living in faithfulness on the mission that he has left you here for, and you are hastening the day of his return. And for you, Christian, my earnest desire this morning is that this message will just be fuel to that fire. That as you marvel at all that Jesus has rescued you from, that you will walk out of here not puffed up with conceit, not full of self-righteous pride, but with a heart full to overflowing with gratitude to God for all that he has rescued you from and that you will be spurred on to love and good works and to continue still more. That's the first group. The second group I have in mind is the follower of Jesus sitting here this morning and you aren't doing so well in your walk with Christ. Maybe you are discouraged or downcast or downtrodden or dry. This week past has not been uh, marked by victory and uh, faithfulness on the mission. Uh, You are living in surrender and in failure and in frustration. You are fatigued and forlorn. And my hope is that this message will be a jolt to your system to look away from your sin and from yourself and from your circumstances to get your eyes back on Jesus. That you will revel afresh this morning that uh, all that he has accomplished for you in his glorious reconciliation of you to God, of his redemption of you from sin and his granting to you of his perfect, spotless righteousness in his cross and in his victorious empty tomb, that you will behold your God this morning, follower of Jesus, that you will behold the light of the world. And lastly, the third group that I'm talking to is the unbeliever in the room. Maybe you are here this morning and you think you're a Christian, but your life would testify against you otherwise. Maybe you're not a Christian and you know you're not, and you're not concerned at all with anything I'm about to say. You're maybe even here this morning, not of your own choosing, or you are here of your own choosing, but you're just 
keeping your word. And I'm praying that the impending reality of all that awaits those who remain in darkness will grow heavier and heavier with each passing syllable until the gospel breaks through the darkness and you run to the light of the world for redemption, forgiveness, and grace. You see, we don't care about light until we can't see, right? And it's through the thick darkness of spiritual depravity and destituteness that the light of the world, Jesus Christ, shines most brightly. And so if you have your Bibles open to John chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 12. You follow along silently as I read out loud. And remember as I read this morning that these are God's words for us. Let's give them our full attention. Starting in verse 12, the apostle John writes, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone. But I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself, since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. The big idea that's going to sit over top the passage that we'll study this morning is this. Spiritual darkness is spiritually tragic. The reality is is that when we reject the light of the world, we opt to remain in spiritual darkness. And the implications of that opting is spiritually tragic. And so the question that we're going to seek to ask and answer this morning from John chapter 8 is this. What happens? uh, What is it that happens to us? What do we do when we reject spiritual darkness? And there are five things that we reject that we'll see. We'll take them one at a time from John chapter 8. And we'll do it like this. Without the light of the world, I, number one reject the truth. 
So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, some context here. This is all happening uh, during something called the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is a, a Jewish festival that commemorated the Israelites' wilderness wanderings and God's provision for them at that time. Now, this festival had lots of different rituals to it, but one of them was the lighting of these large lamps. And the lighting of these lamps uh, in the temple courts was to symbolize the pillar of fire that guided the Israelites through their desert journey and also served as a reminder of God's presence with his people. So when Jesus stands up at the ceremony and he says, I am the light of the world, he's not making some vague spiritual metaphor that the people hearing him wouldn't understand. No, what Jesus is doing here is he is very intentionally and unequivocally drawing a parallel between himself and the pillar of fire from the Old Testament that led God's people uh, at night after Moses led his people out of Egypt. What Jesus is doing here is he is claiming that as that light was used by God to lead his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of captivity, to salvation and to the rescue that God accomplished uh, through Moses, that that light pointed to a greater light that would come and lead God's people out of their slavery and their captivity and their bondage to sin and into salvation, where the one who was greater than Moses came to reconcile God's people back to himself. Jesus is doing nothing short here than claiming that he himself is the fulfillment of the very thing that this festival symbolized, God's presence and his guidance for his people, which is why the religious leaders respond in the way they do. Look back down at your Bible. He says, I am the light of the world. And they barely let him get the words out of his mouth before they start in with their denial. They say, uh, you are bearing witness about yourself, so your testimony isn't true. Effectively, they're saying, you're not credible because you have a vested interest in us believing the things that you say about yourself. So we don't believe you. And they dismiss him out of hand. And you say, well, I, I think I, I sort of get that a little bit, right? I mean, some guy blows onto the seam, claiming to be God in human flesh, claiming to be God's son. I feel like I'm going to need a little bit more evidence than his assurances to me that he is who he says he is, right? And I would say that's fair. That's even necessary. The problem is that up to this point in Jesus' earthly ministry, and even up to this point in John's gospel, there have been more than enough evidences offered to convince and to amply demonstrate that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And Jesus is going to reference that here in a minute. The problem in this exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders, it's not one of evidence, it's not one of data. The problem is a wicked, corrupt obstinance that refuses and rejects the truth and instead opts to remain in darkness. And Jesus is going to continue to expose that here in John chapter 8. You see, the religious leaders are appealing to a law from the Old Testament. It's from Deuteronomy 17 and 19 if you want to go look it up later. And that law was, a, the, uh, was about establishing the credibility of a crime on the basis of two or more witnesses. In fact, our law on the books in the United States is based on that law from Deuteronomy 17 and 19. And essentially what they're trying to do is they are 
trying to use the principle of that law to attack the credibility of Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. And Jesus knows that that is exactly what they are doing. That's why he says, if you look back down at verse 17, he says, in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. He knows what they're going for. The irony is that the law that they are appealing to to try and disprove the claim that Jesus makes about himself was not only authored by the very one they seek to disprove, but is chiefly about the one that they are seeking to disprove. That's what Luke says. If you, uh, y'all remember this, I don't know if you read this part in Luke's gospel, but at the end of uh, Luke's gospel, Jesus, after his resurrection, he's on the a road to Emmaus with the disciples. You got to read this part. And, and uh, the disciples, they're all sideways because the Messiah has been murdered and Jesus rebukes them. He says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then it says, And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning what? Himself. And the tragic implications of spiritual darkness then are on full display here as the religious leaders, the very ones to whom the law has been entrusted and who should be the very first ones to recognize the Messiah and to champion his cause, rather in love with their sin and clinging to their pathetic so-called authority, reject the truth. Darkness. And the tragic reality of all of this for them is that this darkness hasn't been foisted upon them. It's owing entirely to their obstinance as they refuse and reject the truth. You see, the reality is, I believe that Scripture teaches that for those who refuse Christ, who is the very embodiment of truth, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that they are those who walk in the futility of their minds, that they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Here it is due to their hardness of heart. They're not victims. They have hardened their heart against the truth. Jesus says they loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And the reality is for all of us, church, that without the light of the world in our lives, loved ones, we are all in spiritual darkness. Without the light of the world in our lives, without the blessing of spiritual light, we, just like the religious leaders here, are in spiritual darkness. But our Lord is unfazed. He says in verse 14, he says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I come from and where I am going, but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. I love this. Jesus effectively uh, will grant them their argument, but then he goes on to explain the folly of it. He says, even if I'm bearing witness about myself, that doesn't in and of itself validate or invalidate the accuracy of the claim. We get this, right? If your five-year-old comes into the room in the middle of the night and says, there's a monster under my bed, uh, that claim isn't made valid or invalid based on the number of witnesses, right? It's not as if all six of your kids come in and say there's a monster under my bed. It makes it more likely than not that there is a monster under the bed. Uh, that claim is rendered true or false based on what? Well, when you go to inspect and you see that there is or there is not a monster under the bed. Now, the claim may have more credibility when your husband walks in and says, hey, you know, there's a monster under the bed. 
See, when Jesus does the whole thing here about I know where I come from and where I'm going and you don't, what he's doing is he is drawing a distinction between himself as the second person of the Trinity, God of very gods, to point to his credibility in claiming to be the Messiah. Jesus doesn't pretend neutrality here. He knows he's God, and he knows that their rejection of him isn't based on the fact that there are pieces missing to the puzzle, that if they just had those pieces that they would believe. It is because of what Paul calls their hard and impenitent hearts. And on top of all of that, Jesus actually does have a second witness. He has the Father. He goes on, he says, you judge according to the flesh, but I have no one according to the flesh there is in contrast to according to the spirit. He says, you judge according to worldly and fleshly appetites. Your judgments are corrupt. I judge no one, Jesus says. Jesus will judge, but not now. But then he says, even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone, but I and the Father who sent me. And then verse 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. There it is. Jesus' claim is not only established on the basis of who he is, but on the basis for how the Father himself has testified to the credibility of Jesus. And you say, well, when did that happen? Well, quickly, let me give you at least eight ways that the Father witnessed to the credibility of Jesus up to this point. I'm not gonna, uh, we're not going to turn there. They're going to be behind me on the screen. You can jot the references down and go look them up later. But I just want to take you through them very quickly, one at a time. Number one, uh, John the Baptist. So John chapter 1, John chapter 3, Jesus walks by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, uh, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in the Father's uh, sovereign uh, ordaining plan, John the Baptist attested to the validity of who Jesus was. Secondly, uh, the baptism of Jesus where the Father speaks from heaven. So uh, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and the clouds part, the spirit descends on him like a dove and a voice comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So the baptism of Jesus testified to who Jesus was. Thirdly, uh, Jesus' miracle of turning water into wine. So Jesus is at the wedding at Cana in Galilee, and they run out of wine. So Jesus has the servants fill the jars, and he turns the water into wine, demonstrating his glory and that he is God. Number four, the woman at the well. Jesus is engaged in John chapter four with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who, after the conversation with her, goes back to her town and declares, uh, I met a man today who told me everything that I had ever done. Could this be the Messiah testifying to who he was? The hearing, uh, healing miracles of Jesus in John four and John five, the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter six, Jesus uh, walking on the water, calling Peter out to himself, getting into the boat, and the approximately 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, all of which attested by the Father that Jesus is exactly who he says he was. And the point of all of this is for those like the religious leaders trapped in spiritual darkness, the problem is not a lack of information. The problem is not a lack of evidence. The problem is a wicked, corrupt heart that in love with their sin rejects the truth. I mean, we get so twisted in our evangelism. We think that we have to convince people that Jesus is who he says he is. And this is coming from a guy who loves apologetics. The problem is never one of evidence. We aren't trying to convince people to follow Christ. Jesus says, everyone who is on the side of truth listens to my voice. The problem is that we love our sin. And without the light of the world to illuminate for me that my sin is not freedom, it is bondage. That the liberation and happiness and joy will never 
be found until we repent, turn from our sin, and embrace Christ by faith. And then we will know and embrace and receive the truth, and the truth will set us free. But until that happens, and so long as we obstinately refuse and reject the truth, we remain in darkness. And spiritual darkness is spiritually tragic. When we choose to remain in darkness, there are five things reject. First, without the light of the world, we reject the truth. And secondly, we reject the Father. They said to him, therefore, it says, if you look back down at your Bible, verse 19, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. See, the religious leaders begin by mocking him here. The where is your father here? It's not like uh, moms when you haven't seen your husband in a while and you ask your kids, you're like, hey, where's your father? Uh, this isn't you got in trouble with the neighbor and uh, they're looking for their, your dad and they're like, hey, where's your father? No, this is mocking. It is the same mocking tone that they will wield against him all the way to the cross as they seek to discredit, denigrate, and demean him. It's almost the same tone Uh, that you can almost hear when you read Matthew 27 at the crucifixion. It says, and as they passed by, they derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. They don't believe he's God. They refuse and reject and repudiate him all the while blind to the fact that the one that they now deny is the visible representation of the Father before them. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The tragedy of the spiritual darkness that has come to bear upon this conversation is as they seek to dismiss and do away with Jesus, that they are ignorant of the fact that they are but storing up wrath for themselves on the day of wrath, that they will look on him whom they have pierced, the scripture says, and wail, that the moment is slipping away and time is running out for them to kiss the son lest he be angry and they perish in the way. The tragedy of this conversation is that it is put on full vivid graphic display that spiritual darkness has blinded them from seeing that in repudiating the son in rejecting him they are guilty of repudiating and rejecting the father all the while they believe that they are those who are on the father's side without the light of the world they cannot see that their guilt remains on them for as they have repudiated and refused and rejected the son so they have done to the father Jesus says in Luke 10, he says, the one who rejects uh, me rejects him who sent me. If we reject the son, we reject the father. I think perhaps this is the conversation the apostle John has in mind when he writes in his first epistle. He says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist, he who denies the father and the son. Here it is, no one who denies the son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And so the question this morning is this, is what have you done with the Son? Have you rejected him? Are you now living in open rebellion and rejection and repudiation of him? Or have you submitted and humbled yourself and received the light of the world? Interesting note here on verse uh, 20, particularly for you 
suffering saint here this morning. Look back down at your Bible in verse 20. It says, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. The treasury was, uh, of all places, one of the domains of power for the religious elite, the very ones that Jesus is engaged in conversation with here. And if you're familiar with uh, John's gospel, you may remember that up to this point, the religious leaders have been seeking to arrest Jesus. And if there was ever a time and a place where they could do that and get away with it, this was it. And yet, John tells us here that they didn't. And why? Well, because of what we just read. It says, because his hour had not yet come. Because the sovereign God and Father of all the universe, in spite the fact that he and his Christ have become the object of the stubborn repudiation of his enemies, is yet ruling and reigning, and no one or no thing overrules his sovereign purposes or decrees. No one will lay a finger on Jesus until he says. Because his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Our God is in the heavens, church, and he does whatever he pleases. I hope that encourages you this morning, suffering saint, in whatever you're facing. Your God and Heavenly Father is sovereign over every minute detail of your life, and He is the one in this room right now who is most supremely committed to your highest and best good and will only ever permit that which is for your ultimate benefit and your supreme happiness as He conforms you to look more like His Son. Praise God for the light of the world who has come to illuminate our way and to lead us from spiritual darkness into everlasting light because spiritual darkness is spiritually tragic. Without the light of the world, we reject the truth. We reject the Father. Thirdly, we reject heaven. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? Do you feel the tragic nature of this conversation? Now, Jesus is warning them here. He's effectively saying, I am leaving. And by the time you realize what you have done, it's going to be too late. One commentator said this. He said, the wicked will at length feel how great the loss is that they have suffered by rejecting Christ. When he freely offers himself to them, they will feel it. But it will be too late. For there will be no more room for repentance. They don't care. They continue to mock. Stupidly, foolishly, incredulously. We see this today, don't we? There's a ministry that's based out of Tempe here that uh, works out at the abortion mills and they work to try and help to bring an end to abortion by sharing the gospel and providing resources to moms and dads to uh, try to help persuade them away from having an abortion. They even have people in their church and lawyers on standby so that if a A mother wants to give her baby up for adoption. They can actually help her with that process and make sure that that little boy or that little girl goes to a loving family who will raise them to know and to love the one true God who created and loves them. And I've spent time with them at the abortion mills doing open-air preaching to share the gospel and to offer help and resources to moms and dads if they would turn away from murdering their unborn babies. And let me tell you, it gets ugly out there. 
There were people posted up in the parking lot to uh, escort the women inside. And the incredulity, the the hardness of heart, the rejection, it's unbelievable. It reminds me, uh, Proverbs 29.9 says that if a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs. And probably the most heartbreaking thing is when you are out there and you are pleading with a mom or with a family as they walk inside to execute their little boy or their little girl and it's like they don't hear you or they don't want to hear you and all you can do is plead, sometimes through tears, please, please don't do this. Please let us help you. Please, please don't do this. Please spare the life of that little boy or little girl. Please don't do this. And the most shocking thing is when you do that and what you hear in response is not humility but is mocking laughter. It's tragic. It is spiritual darkness. And that is the image here. That is exactly what's going on in this conversation. It's though they rage and laugh at Jesus all the while he holds out their one and only hope for salvation. It's seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. They can't because they don't want to. He says, you're from below. I'm from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. I told you that unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. They don't hear him because they don't really want him. They renounce salvation because they don't really want it. J.C. Riley, the bishop minister, said it like this. He said, but alas, how fit for heaven are many who talk of going to heaven when they die, when they manifestly have no saving faith and no real acquaintance with Christ. You give Christ no honor here. You have no communion with him. You do not love him. Alas, what could you do in heaven? It would be no place for you. Its joys would be no joys for you. Its happiness would be a happiness into which you could not enter. Its employments would be a weariness and a burden to your heart. Oh, repent and change before it be too late. Heaven is no place for those who renounce Christ. It's not as though Jesus is keeping out people from heaven who would otherwise enter. No, if they reject Jesus, they reject heaven. Christ is the centerpiece of heaven, right? And so when they renounce him, they renounce it. And so they are those who will die in their sins unless unless they receive the light of the world and believe on him, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Alpha and the Omega, the second person of the Trinity, God in human flesh, Jesus the Messiah who has come to rescue us from the wrath to come. Listen, friend, if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus, there is a day coming where it will be too late. Time will run out for you to respond to the gospel. The Bible says my spirit will not always strive with men. Romans 1 teaches that there comes a time when God may well give those over who reject him to their sin. That's why the writer of Hebrews says if today you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts that today is the day of salvation, that a day may well come like it did for Esau who when he sought to repent found no place to do so, though he sought it with tears. Don't fall prey to the same scheme of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Run to Christ. Today is the day of salvation. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you are in spiritual darkness. Run to him in repentance and faith and receive the light of life, Jesus Christ. Don't persist in your incredulity like the religious leaders and by so doing renounce the only hope of heaven. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. 
receive the free gift of eternal life that is for all who trust in Jesus by faith. Don't renounce your only hope of heaven. Receive Christ. Run to him because spiritual darkness is spiritually tragic. Without the light of the world, we will reject the truth. We will reject the Father. We reject heaven. Fourthly, we reject the Savior. So they said to him, if you look back down at your Bible, it says in verse 25, uh, so they said to him, who are you? Jesus says to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Now, you ever do this? It's like you're uh, talking to someone, and you've told them the same thing like eight times, and they're finally like, so hey, what are we doing again? Like, what's that thing you were talking about? And uh, I'm sorry to say I probably have done this more to my bride uh, than anybody ever should have. She'll put a date on our calendar for something that we need to do or somebody that we need to uh, go see, and she'll remind me a bunch of times. She'll be like, hey, don't forget, we got that thing coming up, and she'll uh, pin a note in my jacket or send me a text message or, like, write it in the sky, and then the day comes, and I'm like, hey, so, like, what are we doing again? Like, who are we going to go see? Why are we doing this? And uh, you should probably pray for her. (laughs) So they say to him, they say, who are you? And he says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Now, the beginning here doesn't so much apply to the beginning of his earthly ministry, though that is certainly in view. When he says uh, from the beginning, he is referring more specifically to the entirety of the Old Testament law and covenants that foretold his coming. So Jesus' indictment here and saying, I have much to say about you and much to judge, it's not an unjust accusation of uh, innocent people who are sort of victimized by their short-sightedness and ignorance. As we mentioned earlier, these are the very teachers of the law. These are the ones who are most well-versed in what the Old Testament says regarding the Messiah. That's why Jesus gets at Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Now, these are the men who have purported to be the students of the prophets, and yet they have rejected the Savior foretold by the prophets. That's why Jesus will say to them in Matthew 23, he'll say, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding the blood of the prophets. And then he says, thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of the ones who murdered the prophets. He says, fill up then the measure of your fathers. Do what they did. He's saying, you who would like to believe you are more righteous than those who murdered the prophets, you do the very same thing as you reject me. You testify against yourselves. They reject the Savior. This is spiritual darkness, and it is tragic. And those who reject the Savior are doomed to the same fate as those religious leaders. Because Jesus will go on to say, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Darkness. When we naively reject the Messiah, when we trample underfoot the Son of God, when we reject the Savior that God has provided, thinking that we can somehow make ourselves righteous before God, darkness, tragic 
darkness. And without the light of the world, that is exactly what we do. We reject the truth, we reject the Father, we reject heaven, we reject the Savior, and finally we reject the cross. Jesus says to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. The tragic reality of the spiritual darkness that hangs now over the religious leaders is that they will murderously pursue putting him to death on the cross, thinking that their eliminating of Jesus will be freedom and salvation for them so that they will retain their power and their prestige and their place so that they can continue to dole out spiritual favors as it suits their wicked pride. All the while, they foolishly miss that in executing Jesus on the cross, they will aid him and accomplish accomplishing salvation for all who trust in him by faith, all that is but for themselves, because for them, Jesus says, it will be too late. They pursue the cross, not to be those who will embrace the cross for the salvation it offers. They will be those who will pursue putting Jesus to death on the cross, and by so doing will foolishly rebuff the benefit of all that Jesus has accomplished through his substitutionary atonement on the cross for sinners who humble themselves and acknowledge their spiritual bankruptcy and their desperate need for a Savior. That's why when he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, Because his hour is coming. It's not here yet, but it is coming. The ordained plan of God for him to die on the cross. But it is they that will be responsible for murdering the Messiah. That's why Peter says on the day of Pentecost, he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And he says, Jesus says, when that happens, then you will know that I am he. There is no uh, I am he in the original language. When you read that in your English translation, it is the translators trying to help uh, for clarity's sake. When Jesus says that, what he actually says is I am. He's saying I am the uh, uh, Exodus chapter 3, I am that I am. And he says, it'll be too late before you realize that I am the great I am, the second person of the Trinity, God in human flesh, Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah. And they will know once it's too late that he is the light of the world. But here's the good news. Look back down at your Bible in verse 30. And what does it say? It says, as he was saying these things, what? Many believed in him. You see, the good and glorious news John tells us is that not everyone persisted in the rejection of the cross. Some turned and some believed. That is the good and glorious news of the gospel, loved ones, that all who repent of their sin and trust in Jesus by faith can have their sins forgiven. They can have their wickedness of their past rejection and failure wiped away, and they can be reconciled and made right with God with the hope of heaven. Friend, if that's you, don't wait. Do that now and receive the gift of eternal life in the paradise of God where in his presence there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Run to Christ. And Christian, if you're here this morning, be reminded by God's great and glorious grace 
You who once were far off, you who once were dead in your trespasses and sins have been made alive as the light of the world has come into your life to lead you out of spiritual darkness into spiritual life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ who is the image of God. That's you and that's me before the light of the world came into our lives. And you know how you were freed from that? It wasn't by your might or power or insight. It wasn't because you were worthy or deserving. It's because God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The apostle John says uh, that he gave us the right to become children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See what kind of love the Father given to us that we should become children of God. And so we are. We love because he first loved us. Know and revel in the glorious reality that you were ransomed not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. That you have been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. That you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And you have been saved in order to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so that people from every tribe and nation and language and tongue would similarly be led from darkness to light and would no longer live with the prospect of spending all eternity in outer darkness. In that place, the Bible says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, but will have the curse reversed and will spend eternity in the city that has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it its light and its lamp is the lamb. And by its light, the nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. That is why you were saved and that is why you were here. So shout it from the rooftops. Go with the gospel and boldness and love and compassion for those who don't know Christ because spiritual darkness is spiritually tragic. Amen? Amen. Well, I don't know about you guys. I'm pretty sure we don't learn to learn, right? We learn to live. So let me just give you three questions to consider as you uh, go this morning. Number one, have I believed in the light of the world? It's a simple yes or no question. Have you believed on the light of the world that has come and been led out of spiritual darkness into spiritual light? Have you repented of your sins? Have you humbled yourself before the light of the world and embraced the one and only hope for salvation, Jesus, who is the Christ? Have you placed your faith and your confidence in him to be spared from the wrath to come and made partakers of the divine nature, the scripture says? Have you received the light of the world? If you have not done that, don't wait. Today is the salvation. You don't have to talk to a pastor, talk to a priest, walk an aisle, sign a card. You can do that where you're sitting right now. Right now, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The scripture says, do it now. Believe in the light of the world. Secondly, where is darkness reigning? This is for you, follower of Jesus. The reality is, is that even with the light of the world in our lives, if we're not careful, it is easy to allow darkness to begin to creep back in and begin to reign so that we, uh, maybe not convictionally, but we practically begin to reject the Father. We begin to reject the Savior. We begin to reject all that Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. Examine yourself. See where darkness is beginning to reign and repent. Bow down in humility and ask God to lead you back to the light that is light. And lastly, who needs to see the light? 
The reality is, is regardless of what stage of life you are in here this morning, uh, there is a sphere of influence that you find yourself in based on God's sovereign ordaining grace in your life. And he intends that those people that are in your sphere of influence would be the recipients of the vocalization of you attesting to the light of the world in your life. Who are those people? Who are the people that you need to talk to this week at work or at school or in your family? Write their name down, commit to pray for them and ask God that he would give you inroads this week to speak of the light of the world because spiritual darkness is spiritually tragic. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we worship you and we honor you because you have sent Jesus who is the light of the world. You have led us from spiritual darkness into spiritual light. You have transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. You have called us out of darkness to proclaim the excellencies of you who called us into your glorious light. And so we honor you, we worship you, we exalt you, we praise you, even as we began acknowledging that we were created and we were redeemed to give glory and honor and worth to your name. So we do so again, and we ask God that you would help us as we live on mission and to be effective in that as we attest to who the light of the world is, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.